In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Of course, I knew that there would be only a few of you who would be courageous to come out today, being the uh, 30th of December. But um, it's good for us to end the year together as well as start next year together. And I suppose one thing that it's good for us to talk about is what model do we take in this life to come? Uh, what do we follow? What do we do this year that might be different to last year? The first thing we need to do is, in looking at this year that has passed, we need to assess ourselves and assess ourselves against a perfect example, against a model. Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 5 says, Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the first thing I need to do this year is think how perfect was I? And of course, I realized that when we're speaking about perfection, we're speaking about relative perfection of humanity, not absolute perfection of God. But how perfect was I? How did I live my life? <clears throat> life throws things at us. Life sends challenges. Life creates obstacles sometimes. And, no, let's not blame life because sometimes we create our own obstacles. But realistically, how perfect was I in my life? How Christ-like was I? How did I follow the example that was placed before me? And your answer is going to vary between well, yes, I was, to no, I wasn't, and anything in between. And for most of us, it'll be, well, I was sometimes, but I wasn't at others. But that's the first thing we need to do. Assess where this last year went. And don't do it just to be self-condemning, because that's not helpful. Just as we say, when you're dealing with other people, that constructive criticism is helpful, but destructive criticism is, is a burden. Likewise with ourselves. Constructive assessment is very, very helpful. So I need to look at myself and think, okay, what did I do last year? Because the worst thing I could come out with was, would be, oh, it was a horrible year, I didn't do anything really well, and I feel totally disempowered, I feel defeated, and I feel like I can't do anything. But even if my assessment is, well, it was a really bad year, I got absolutely everything wrong, which is really difficult to do, unless you make a really big effort, and it takes effort, you can't just randomly do everything wrong. You really have to put in a huge effort to get everything wrong. But even if that's the case, then, okay, what's next? Now, why do I want to know this? Why do I want to know this? I want to know this because I want to see what I may have gotten wrong and what I can then get right in, in this next year. Or, in fact, I'll think, well, I got, I got some things right, and I'm thankful to God for it. Because God opened opportunities before me, God helped me, God supported me, God strengthened me, He empowered me, 
And so I was able to do good things. So what we need to do in looking at the year that's gone is how perfect were we? How Christ-like were we? And it's very difficult to get an example of what perfection means. But if I replace it with Christ-like, it makes a lot more sense. So was I forgiving? Was I sacrificial? Was I loving? Did I place others before me? Did I put others before me? Um, was I caring towards others? Did I go that extra mile? Did I go through Samaria? Did I go to the sheep gate, the paralytic? Did I go towards the lepers? Did I go out of my way? Did I wash people's feet? Because when I say be perfect, you think, well, I can't be perfect because I'm in this world. But if I say, when you test yourself against the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, how good a model was that for your life in that you followed it? That's the answer. And of course, none of us, none of us is going to say, yes, I got it right all the time. Yes, I did everything right. Yes, I was sacrificial, I was loving, I was serving. I put everything before me. I, because we don't always get it right. But at least figure out what it was that we got right and what we need to get right next time. And then what do we put before us? St. Augustine says, without God, I am but a guide to my own destruction. Without God, I'm only a guide to my own destruction. Because what, what example am I following? Am I following the example of worldly desires, worldly lusts, worldly ambitions, worldly greed? Or am I following the example of heavenly graciousness and love and sacrifice and forgiveness, selflessness? And I know I over-dramatize it, make it sound like two polar opposites, but in many cases, they are polar opposites. In many cases, it does come down to a choice between one and the other. And no matter how much we try to make it pretty, it is sometimes a choice between good and evil. Even if it's only slightly evil, it's still evil. And we know that and we understand it. <clears throat> But in starting this year, yes, we need God, but we also need one another. Because if we have God as our example, as our focal point, and then follow Him, we also need people around us. Because sometimes it's not just about me. It's not just about how I build myself. It's how we build together at times. And you know, that people around us could only be one. Or could there be a lot? One of my favorite books, some of you might know, is, is the book of Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah is a wonderful example of someone whose heart was moved, wanted to do something, and didn't just think, 
oh, wow, this needs to be done. Well, I hope someone does it. What he actually did is he went out and he, did, he saw that the walls of Jerusalem and the city had been destroyed, and he thought, I need to go and restore it. Left the king's palace, and if you get a chance to read, read the first few chapters, and I assure you, you won't be able to put it down. He left his role, very prominent role in the king's court, and then went, and he rallied people around him, and he worked. Nehemiah 4.6 says, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for people had a mind to work. People work together. And when you, you, when you read the model of how this happened, you get each family, each group standing at one part of the wall, they're building together. You have people with their hands on their swords just in case the enemy comes. You have people building. You have some people who are building with one hand with swords in the other. Everyone is working from the high priest to the nobles to the people to everybody's working. And that's the model of what we need sometimes around us as well. So in this coming year, be guided by God. But also, try to be surrounded by the people who are going to help you. And as I said, those people may only need to be one. But at least have someone by your side. It's important for us to have a particular model before us whether it's someone, whether it's God, or someone like Nehemiah, because we are affected by people around us, people before us, more than we would like to actually admit sometimes. We sometimes don't like to admit it. But, but St. Gregory the Great said something which is very, very precise. He says, we are changed into the one we see. We are changed into the one we see. So if I'm seeing Christ before me, that's what I might change into. If I see a good example before me, that's what I might change into. And on the flip side, if I see destructive models, that's what I might change into. And I would like to reassure you and say to you, you know, this is only limited to people at the early stages of their lives, to adolescents, to various other people who might be tempted, but actually in own situations, in your workplaces, in your universities, in your colleges, in your neighborhoods, you can be affected as well. How many of us have been adversely affected, negatively affected? But that's not the end of the road. We've all been negatively affected at one time or another. But what's important is that we realize that there are also very good people around us. And those good people could be the ones we change into. The one thing we have going for us is that we are called. We're already called. We're not wandering around the world aimlessly, without an agenda, without principles. 
First Peter 1.15 says, He who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. So we're called by God to be holy. Which means, and God is a fair God. God would not call us to something we were incapable of. That just wouldn't make any sense. God calls us to things we can do. He's not going to make us jump through hoops that we're incapable of or that are meaningless. Anything God wants us to do in our lives, anything He calls us to, is going to make us stronger and more perfect. Is going to make us more confident. We sometimes feel that we're very alone in the world and don't realize just how many people we're surrounded by. Because God just hasn't called me, He's called each and every one of you here as well. And we're all called to the same holiness. We may be called to live it in different ways, through different situations, through different experiences, but we're all called to the same holiness. Which means I can be inspired by you, and you can be inspired by each other, and we can help each other. It means that we can move together. It means that just as God has called us, if we respond to that call, then we will be in the place that He wants us to be. But in following, you've got to be careful that there will be challenges. There will be obstacles. But not every challenge is huge, and not every obstacle is like a mountain. Some challenges will appear to be small. Some obstacles will appear to be small. But the destruction they cause is even more serious. If anyone drives here, you realize the difference between getting a huge gaping hole in your tire and a small, slow puncture, right? You get a big gaping hole in your tire and you know you've got a problem, you've got to change it. You get a slow puncture and you don't know, but the whole time you're driving, you're in danger because your tire is emptying out. You just don't realize it. And sometimes in our lives, we get that slow puncture. And that slow puncture is much more dangerous because we just keep going. We just keep running with it. We don't realize we're being drained. We don't realize we're being drained of our energy, of, of, of our strength, of our resilience. And we only wonder every now and then, you think, what's that noise? What's going on? Why am I not getting the same performance? Why is this not as smooth? But then you put it to the side. Why is my life not as smooth as it should be? Then you put it to the side. But when you get that very, very slow puncture, unless you're checking constantly, it may go completely by the side and you may never, ever detect it. Moving from the automotive examples and metaphors to something that's a bit more biblical, 
In the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, we're told to catch the little foxes. Just the little foxes. You know, the ones that can fly under the radar. The ones that don't look like a risk. And, you know, have you, I know we've all seen foxes and people are absolutely petrified of them. Okay? But foxes are cowards. Foxes don't attack anything except very vulnerable, small animals. They will never attack a human being because they're cowards. But the destruction they cause is immense if you're not careful. And so we're warned here to be wary of those small foxes. So as we go into this new year again, Look for the small foxes of last year and make sure they don't creep in through the hedges this year as well. The little things that we just let go. No, a couple of days without prayer, it's all right. A couple of days without reading my Bible, it's fine. And just a, you know, a small lie here and a small inconsistency there and a little glance of the eye here and you know, a, a, a profanity there, small things. How's that going to change anyone's life? But those small things, when they're put together, create destruction. And it's that slow puncture. It's that, it's that slippery slope. And I, and I think, you know, if you think about it, if you think about your own life and your own experience, just a small example of lying or swearing. Okay? You may make a commitment to yourself, you're not going to lie, and you'll stick by it. And all it takes is a little lie at the beginning. You think, oh, it's just a little lie. It's a white lie. You know, how's that going to harm anyone? But then suddenly it becomes easier and easier and easier. And the little white lie that wasn't supposed to harm anyone almost becomes a way of life. All you need to do is... is walk through the city these days and listen to the amount of swearing going on. There's people speaking. There's really no need to swear. It, nothing's happened. But it's just you throw words into the middle of a sentence just to make it more colorful. You know, because our sentences are black and white. Let's make them a little bit more colorful. Let's spice them up a little bit. Let's throw in a word here that actually, when you think about it, makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. In context, it doesn't make sense. In meaning, it doesn't make sense. In intention, it doesn't make sense. It just becomes part of our language. But let's say it anyway. And suddenly that small fox, that slow puncture, becomes a way of conversation. And after a while, the line you used to draw between speaking to your work friends and then speaking to other people, that line starts to go because you don't even detect it anymore. And you realize that language creeping into your day-to-day -day language. And it's not about language. It's not about words. Words aren't going to kill anyone. But it's about that desensitization. And be assured that if you're being desensitized to one form of sin, you are probably being desensitized to others at the same time. It's never just one sin. It's never just one weakness. It's a pattern. It's, it's a pattern of 
making decisions. It's a pattern of making choices on a daily basis. And that pattern impacts us. It impacts us quite severely. Because St. Paul reminds us that we are not our own. That we are temples of God and the Holy Spirit abides in us. So you know what? You're absolutely fine if you want to redecorate your own home. But if you're given a wonderful palace to live in, and the owner says, here you go, you can house-sit this one for me, and you decide to redesign it, knock in a wall there, knock out a wall here, repaint it here, remodel it there, that's not yours to do. Our lives are entrusted to us in that same way. We don't own ourselves. We are just granted ourselves out of God's graciousness. And so we shouldn't be changing who we are. We shouldn't be changing our hearts and our minds and our mindsets and our values. We shouldn't be remodeling our consciences. They're gods. They were created sanctified. They were given to us holy and pure. But again, even if we've done that, and the beauty of the Christian faith and the beauty of our Orthodox theology and our Orthodox sacramental life is that even if you've done that, even if you've made the greatest mistake in the world, even if you've taken this whole temple, you've bulldozed it down and you've built some really tacky shack on it, it doesn't matter. Because God is able to restore us. Because if we then take responsibility and we go before him and say, I'm really sorry, I am so sorry. You gave me this beautiful life. You gave me this beautiful conscience. You gave me this beautiful heart. You gave me this beautiful mind. And I've corrupted them. Look at my actions of last year. Look at my actions of this morning. Look at my actions of yesterday. Look what I've done. But I'm sorry, I come before you and I want that beautiful mansion again. That was your handiwork, your design for me. He is able to restore it. But we need to take responsibility. We need to repent from it. We need to confess it. And then we need to start fresh. Corinthians 6.16 says, For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. Now that's the promise you have, not only for today, but for the coming year. Every time you feel alone in this process of this coming year, remember God saying to you personally, personally. And if you have somewhere to write this, if you have somewhere to type it into your phone, if you have somewhere to engrave it on your forehead and get it reminded to you, whatever it takes, remember this verse and personalize it. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. 
And that's precisely what happened in the incarnation. You know, we're celebrating the birth of Christ these days. What's that about? The baby in the manger? No, it's not about the baby in the manger. It's about God taking flesh and coming and dwelling among us and walking with us in our journey, in our struggle, in our weakness, in our strength. Creating a counterculture that we can follow. And so as we end last year and we begin this year, let's use this verse. Let's use this verse. I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. But there's a condition. The condition is not because God's playing hard to get. The condition is because God respects our freedom. Because the next sentence, very short sentence, is, and they shall be my people. He can never fully be our God, from our perspective, if we're not his people. From his perspective, he's always our God. That doesn't change. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. He never throws us away, no matter how bad we've been. But from our perspective, how can I say, Lord, you are my God, if in the same breath I can't turn around and say, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. Doesn't work. I'm your creation, you made me, you fashioned me. You are responsible for me, Lord, and I love the fact that you're responsible for me. I want to be with you and I want you to conduct my life as you wish, as you see. It goes on that passage to say, therefore, come out from among them. Come out from among the evil of this world. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Now again, it's not about just touching, physically touching what is unclean, but it's about leaving the unclean life behind. Don't touch the unclean. Don't play with it. Don't, don't experiment with danger. Don't put yourself in a position that is vulnerable. Because there's a promise here. I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. But on your side, you be my people. You come out from among them. And you do not touch what is unclean. Because it's only in that that I can truly help you. And so, if I go back to where we started, the whole reason for assessing ourselves at the end of this year and the beginning of the next is we need to measure up where we are along that model. Are we following him? Have we selected him? as our God, and are we confessing that He is our God? Have we come out from among the evil of this world? Intentionally. Or at least have I stretched my arm out and said, Lord, pull me out of here. I don't want to be here. And if I stretch my arm out, He will take it. 
And then do I say as much as I can to the best of my ability, as much as I can commit, Lord, I do not want to touch what is unclean, but help me. I'm yours. I am your son. I am your daughter. You are my God. You are my strength and you are my hope. And I pray that you will continue to guide me because I want to see you and turn into you as much as I can with my human weaknesses and my human flaws. I want to become you in this world. I want to become a picture of you, an image of you. I want to be a manifestation of you so people love you just as much as I love you. Then he goes on to say, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. It's a promise. It's a very strong, very clear promise. This is one of the most definitive passages in Scripture. You know, sometimes people say to you, oh, but Scripture is so airy-fairy. You just don't understand what it is. You can't make heads or tails of it. What does it actually mean? This one's very clear. This one is extremely clear. Come out from among them. Separate yourselves. Do not touch what is unclean. I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So this year is a year that I'm sure has been greatly successful in part, sometimes a disappointment in others. That doesn't matter because we have another year to start. And I want to reassure you of something as well. If you don't get it exactly right on the 31st of December, it doesn't matter because every day is a new start. This applies to every day of our lives. This new start can be three times a day. As long as we don't become careless and know that it's going to be three times a day. I pray that it's a blessed year for you as it ends, a blessed for you year for you as it starts, and that you truly can follow the Lord, become like Him, hold on to Him, say to Him, Lord, I am your son, I am your daughter, you are my God. So receive me unto you and shape my life as you will. And glory be to God forever. Amen.